you open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 15, we're finally finishing up this, this parable today, the parable of the prodigal son. Over the last several months, Luke has been taking us through Jesus' steady march to Jerusalem. We're, we're now only months away from the crucifixion, and Jesus has been teaching the crowd and the disciples what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christian. Along the road, the Pharisees and the scribes and, are complaining and grumbling that Jesus is spending time and even eating with sinners. And you'll remember that in that day, to eat with someone was an all-day event. It was the main event of the day was a supper meal. And Jesus was participating in this with sinners. Jesus responds to their grumbling, their frustration, by telling three stories. First two, the first two we looked at a few weeks ago, the lost sheep and the lost coin. All three of these stories follow the same path, and they're all three meant to build off of each other. They, they follow this path. Lost, sought, found, celebrated, and then explained. Each of these stories have grown in their value from lesser to greater. You had one out of 100 sheep. That's 1% of this, of this person's responsibility, of the shepherd. His value, the value was fairly minimal. And yet he went and he sought the sheep and he found the sheep and he celebrated when he found them. The coin, this woman who had lost one, ten, one out of ten of her coin, one tenth. That's ten percent of all the money she had. Now, Obviously, that's a greater amount. So she had lost 10% of her life savings. She tore apart her house until she found it. When she found it, she celebrated. What we've been looking at over the last two weeks is the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, as most know. And we've seen that, that this, this son going to his father and saying that he wishes he was dead, taking the money, and this father lost his one, one of his two sons, 50%. Of his, of his valued possessions. He lost. Last week we saw him, the, the son come back and we saw the celebration that the father had. And we'll look at that a little more deeply as we begin our text. But we're going to see three things in this, in this that goes in deeper in the explanation than the other two stories did. He goes a step further in this last parable to show the Pharisees exactly what they look like. So we're going to see three things. First, a puzzling picture. The older son hears something out in, while he's working the land like he's done for all these years. And he hears a celebration. But it, all, it was all his. Who is celebrating without his permission? Who is celebrating without him knowing? Well, then we see the, the second point. An indictment of injustice. An indictment of injustice. And in this indictment of injustice, he, the father comes out to him and he basically ridicules this father. How dare you? I've been here all this time and yet this son of yours comes back and you do everything for him. How dare you? The final thing we're going to see is a generous grace. A generous grace. The father doesn't rebuke his son, older son either. He doesn't rebuke his younger son. He doesn't rebuke his older son. Instead, he invites him into the party. He invites him in to join in the celebration of his son that had been lost and that is found again. I've entitled this message, The Joy of the Lord, Part 4, The Legalistic Son. Stand as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to be reading the entirety of the uh, parable. 
Now the tax collector and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them a parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, uh, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs he ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to, said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come home, and the father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He is lost and has been found. This is the word of God. There's authority over us. Receive it as such. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, you are good and worthy to be praised. Father, we thank you for your word that it is clear and convicting. Father, I do pray over the preaching of your word that you would speak through me from so weak to to present your word and that your word would take heart and take root in the hearts and the minds of the hearers and myself. That we would, by the power of your spirit, would, would turn to you and embrace you. Father, we love you. It's in your precious son's name I pray. Amen. 
First thing, before we get started, we we have to get into the context. I, I didn't put it there, so you can skip to the blank slide. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, we have to get to the context. We have to remember where we're at in this. I mean, we first thing, when we opened up to this, we remember that these are the Pharisees that are standing in judgment of Jesus because Jesus is receiving sinners. He's, he's spending his time eating and even accepting these sinners. And not them. So this lost son goes to the father and dishonors his entire family. He says, I wish you were dead. Split it up. Give me mine so I can go off by myself and live and do whatever I want. I don't have to live by your rules anymore. I don't have to live under your authority. Give me what's mine so I can leave. And surprisingly, the father does it. And then he goes off and he squanders. Remember, this is that he is throwing his money up in the air and it's just going away by the wind with reckless living. And in fact, what we're told in today's with even wasting the money on what he says, prostitutes. And then he, he he's get, gets to the lowest part. He's wasted all of his money. His money's gone. He goes and hires himself out, joins himself to this, this person from another country, becomes as if he was a son to them, and he goes out to feed pigs. But what, what we see is that this, this person, this family that he's joined himself to, doesn't care about him at all. They won't even give him the slop that the pigs eat. He was yearning for this despicable stuff that would have made him unclean and really your stomach can't even handle. But they wouldn't even give him that. And then it says he came to himself. He came to himself, remembers his father's goodness, and goes to his father. The heights a long, many days, most likely days journey to go back to his father. And his father looks at him. He's expecting to be chastised. He's expecting to be beaten and thrown in prison. And yet his father, instead of that, runs with his loving him and kissing him, embracing him, just as he is, nasty, smelly, dirty, he embraces him and he clothes him with his robe and ring and sandals, making him the, the, his full sonship is returned. And then he celebrates. He celebrates with the fatty calf. And he pronounces life over him. That's where we start today. We start in a puzzling picture. Verse 25 to 28. That's a puzzling picture. That after they, they're in the house, they're celebrating, they're, they're, they're all excited. This is the entire town, mind you. One calf, as I told you, last week can feed over 200 people. This is the entire town. This is a massive celebration showing that, that this, this son who is dead is now alive again. And now, verse 25, is the older son was in the field. This is what characterized the older son. Work. Obedience, as he said. When the younger brother left, he squandered the wealth. But the older brother stayed and worked the land. He worked to build his father's estate back up. Once it got split, a third of it would have gone with the younger son. who monetized it left. The older son, if you remember back in, in the beginning, in verse 12, not 12, in verse, now I'm going to have to look it up because I, I mentioned it. In verse, yeah, it is verse 12. It says he divided his property between them, both of them. 
So this father had already split up his entire inheritance. It wasn't just he gave this, the younger son. He gave the older son his too. The father now owned nothing. He was at the, the whims of the son, according to this. And yet, this older son is staying behind, working, being loyal to the father. He's out in the field. That's what characterizes older son. The text continues. says, and as he came and drew near to the house... He heard music and dancing. Now, what on earth could be happening? This is most likely in this story, this is a very wealthy man, and this is probably the most wealthy man in the city. And so anything that happened in the city, the older son should at least know about. Because he owns one of the biggest houses, one of the biggest lots of land. Everyone worked for him. And yet he comes back in from working out in the field, trying to honor his father, and he hears this massive celebration. This massive party that's taking place. How on earth could this happen without him at least knowing about it? Remember, the property was his. It was between both children. The father was no longer uh, the, no small figure in this town. And so he, as he comes back, he's just confused. He's puzzled by this. Text continues in verse 26. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Can you imagine where this son's head must have been? I mean, we're told where some of it was. Here is this, this son was the owner of it all. All that his father had left. He's out, been out in the field. He had no idea how long this son left, but he had already squandered a third of the property. His old, the older brother was, was working to make it, make it, bring it back up to par, to, to make it him worth more again. And here, Jesus tells us that, he, that the servant tells him that he's killed the fattened calf. And more than likely, that fattened calf was being saved for one of his events, maybe his, maybe his wedding. But it was, they only grew one calf this way at a time. They had all sorts of cattle, but only one was meant for this purpose, and he killed it. And most likely, if we're following what would have happened, that he would have also told them about the robe and the rings, which were whose? The older sons. So he... He's hearing all of these things, and it just plain isn't fair. By all human accounts, this was unjust. Up to this point, all we know about this older son is that he stayed behind and worked with his father, while the younger son had dishonored his father's name and squandered the, his wealth. And now, he is receiving him back? What's the... What, where on earth can, can they be thinking? Anyone listening to this, especially the Pharisees, remember that's the audience that Jesus is talking about, is looking at this father as wicked because the father has done something that is unjust. It was unjust for his father to take him back without, with all the dishonor that he had brought towards him. He expected if his younger brother ever come back, to be thrown in a dungeon and only be allowed to work the land and repay what he, what he had already wasted. In those days, with, with a level of dishonor, with this level of dishonor, there was no free reconciliation. There was no free grace. You had to earn your way back. 
You know, earn what you got. And the older son here hears of this, taking his property and giving, giving it to his son. It, it, it's unthinkable. Let's see what he does. Verse 28. He says, but he was angry and refused to go in. Finally, the, the Pharisees thought that someone was finally going to act right. Someone was finally going to bring honor back to this family. This family's been shamed. First, the younger son comes in and dishonors the entire family. Now, the, the, the father, seemingly, according to that culture, according to this older brother, is dishonoring this entire family and just bringing it into shame. He's saying, how in the world could you do this? He should be angry, the Pharisees think. His father has brought every, even the, more dishonor upon his family by accepting his son back. Now, remember... What the context is. What were the scribes and Pharisees accusing Jesus of? This is important. Receiving sinners and eating with them. What is his father doing? Receiving sinners and eating with them. You see that? Of course they were mad at this father. They were mad at Jesus for doing the same thing. The difference is the depths that, the, that Jesus had placed upon this lost son. The depths of the depravity that this lost son had gone through to, in, in, in this story was absolutely unforgivable. There, this father should have stayed as far from him as he could. It was worthy of even death. Fine, and so the, the Pharisees, I think here, finally, someone in this story that the Pharisees would be able to do get behind, that they would do the right thing and stop with all this nonsense and reestablish the family's honor. But let's see what happens. And then we get to the second point, an indictment of injustice. An indictment of injustice. In the middle of verse 28. His father came out and entreated him. Notice yet again, it is the father who is seeking the child. In the first parable, it was the shepherd seeking the sheep. In the second parable, it was the woman seeking the money. In this parable, it was the father standing at the gate looking for his younger son. And yet again, here, his father, a second time for his second son, seeking him out. The father who came to seek the, older, the younger son is the same father who comes to seek the older son. What did his father seek him to do? Well, he entreated him. Now, that's a word we don't use too often in our culture. Uh, the, the, it literally means he came alongside him. He exhorted him, or comforted him, he instructed him. He came out to teach his son why he was doing this and why it was right. You see, the father doesn't come back, back to this older brother with wrath. He comes to him with an offer of grace. He says, come in and join in the celebration. The text continues in verse 29. <laughs> but he answered his father, look. Now let's stop there. Remember, we're not told exactly how he had been instructed, exactly how he'd been entreated, but we are told the son's answer, how he responds to this entreatment. Look. You can hear the disgust and dishonor in this son's words. Not father, not sir, not dad, just look. The son is indignant. And the Pharisees hear that, that and are excited. This father is going to get put in his place finally. Let's get close to exactly what he says. He says, look, these many years I have served you. 
and I never disobeyed your command. Now, two things he's saying. Two, 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 in, two, uh, two claims, if you will. One, that he served him. We'll look deep into the, what that means. And two, that he's never been disobedient. And both of those are important. Both of those are important. He says first, I have served you. Literally, this is the word slave. He said, I have slaved after you. I've slaved, been a slave for you all these many years. Can I just stop and say that this is the mark of legalism? A legalist comes to church, does good deeds, prays, reads the Bible, because they feel like God's their master and that we are his slave. If you think that you are his slave, you're placing yourself in the older brother's shoes. Because the older brother looks here, the older brother looks here, and he, he doesn't, isn't staying to honor the father, but he's saying, that boy. <laughs> I, try to, I try not to stop. He doesn't stay to, to, to honor the father. He stays because he feels like he has to. He feels like he, if he doesn't, he's going to get his. And the second assertion, well, before we go there, the, the true son of God, the true child of God understands it and doesn't sin because they love God instead of doing it because they think they're going to get wrath. I hope you see the distinction there. Well, let's look at the second assertion, assertion of this. I never disobeyed your commands. Basically, the assertion is that he's sinless. This is exactly how the Pharisees see themselves. They have separated themselves. Judah, stop running into them. They have separated themselves from sin. They have separated themselves from sinners. They, they only spend time with their little clique. They only spend time with the, the little group of people that they know aren't doing the big, massive sins that all these other people are doing. This is how the legalists see themselves. This is exactly how most carnal Christians, now what I remember, that's the worldly Christians see themselves. They, you know, I, I know I've sinned, but I've done a lot more good than I have done bad, so I, I think I'll be all right. People claim Christianity without understanding the grace of God. Talk to the average person on the street and ask them if, if they're going to heaven and why. What your answer, what they're going to tell you most likely is, well, you know, I've, I've, done, I've done a lot of good things. I've, I've, I've never killed anyone. I've never stolen anything. I, I, try and, I try and be good to my parents. So I think he'll let me in. They don't understand that it has nothing to do with their obedience. It has to do, do 100% with the obedience of Christ on the cross. On Judgment Day, there will be those who stand in the place of the older brother and say, Lord, Lord, we've slaved for you. And we've denied ourselves. We've done all this stuff. But unfortunately, they'll hear the same words that Matthew, that Jesus said in Matthew 7. Depart from the primary. The, the older brother is the, the person that, that comes because he thinks he has to. Not for the love of God. The thinking that you are without sin is evidence that your heart has not been changed. Then after explaining his qualifications, I mean, this is a logical form of argument. He explains why he's qualified to indict his father. He says this, yet you never gave me a young goat, a kid, that I might celebrate with my friends. 
mean, honestly, at face value, it seems reasonable in the line of argumentation. It's, it's all mine. I'm working to build it back up and honor you, and you won't even give me a kid. When we see the heart of the older son, however, we, we know that there is more to it than that. Even this complaint shines light on the heart of the older son. You never gave me so I can celebrate my friend. See, he, this older brother was all about himself. He was completely about himself. He worked the land not to honor his father, but because he thought he had to. And he, what he really wanted is this, to have a party with his friends outside of the house, outside of the people that, that was with the family. His heart, his desire, his life were all outside of the family. He was with his father, but he only did it because he felt like he was a slave. Now the indictment. But, verse 30, but when this son of yours came, can you hear the hostility of these words? It's, it's just like when the boys do something wrong. After church, I'm sure Chelsea's going to hear you with the way they've been acting. I'm going to hear, did you hear your sons? <laughs> right? This is the same indictment that, that this older brother brings to his father. This your son came. He, he will receive sinners? He, 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 had, he had done too much. He had sinned too great. He had brought too much dishonor on the family. But when this son of yours came, the text continues, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. This is the accusation. You're unjust. How dare you? How dare you? How could you do this? What's wrong with you? Your son comes, devour your property, shame, bring shame and dishonor with, with filth, and yet you celebrate. You kill the fattened calf. How could this be? How could this be just? How could this be right? What's wrong with you, old man? You drunk? Have you, have you gone senile? Something has, ha, has to have happened because you are bringing even more dishonor on our family. That's the, what he's saying here. This is exactly what the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of. You can imagine the Pharisees' face at this moment. They're, they're smiling. Hey, like, boy, get him. That's what they're thinking here. What's wrong with you? You say you're the Messiah who sets our people free, and now you're mingling with and accepting sinners? You preach in the synagogue, and then you eat with prostitutes? You claim to be sent by God and even be God, yet you are coming to the people of the dreads of society. Might even be like if I was going out. Let's, let's, bring, it, let's bring, it, bring it home a little bit. What would y'all think if, if after church on Sunday, I'm up here preaching at you, dressed nice, I leave church, go out and spend time with back the backwoods of Bowtown, town, a known drug dealer. Someone just got out of jail. And that would shock you. We're putting our place, ourselves in the place of the older brother. How would you feel about that? That's how these Pharisees felt. It's understandable. It's understandable logically how these, these, these Pharisees felt. Something has to be wrong with that preacher. They don't know that those people over there. They don't know the sorts of people he's spending time with. Love it. Our God loves those who no one else wants. I told you that at the very beginning of this, this, this chapter. 
Our God goes to the dregs of society and brings them up and makes them into his own children. That shouldn't shock you. It shouldn't shock you. In fact, it should be what all of us are doing. We should all be going out to the same people that Jesus went to, not the people the Pharisees went to. The Pharisees said, I'm going to only associate with these people over here. These people over here in this church, or people that go to this church over here, or this church over there. The Pharisees said, I'm only going to be around people that are like me, talk like me, look like me, sound like me. Jesus said, I'm going to surround myself with those people, but I'm also going to go to people that don't look like me, don't sound like me, don't talk like me, don't believe what I believe. Do things that seem crazy to me. Do things that are dishonoring to my God. And I'm going to bring this gospel to them so that they would hear the gospel and they would be saved. Well, we have two options here. We can either be like the Pharisees or we can be like Jesus. The Pharisees are the ones that say, those people over there, they can never change. They're always going to be different. They're always going to be set apart. Those people over there, they're never going to be like us. Jesus said, come and I will make you my own. Do you hear that? Come and I will make you my own. That's the offer of grace that our Lord brings. Look at the response of the Father to this indictment. Verse 31. We're going to see generous grace in our last point. Generous grace. And he said to him, Son, remember how the Son addressed, addressed the Father. Look, right? That's how the, the Son addressed it. The son addresses the father. The father comes back and addresses the son with a tender mercy. He says, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. The father hasn't given up on the older son anymore than he's given up on the lost son. He welcomes him back into the party with these gracious words. You've always been here. If you would just look to me and not view me as a slave and master, but view me as a son and father, you would see. See, both sons in this parable are lost. And that Jesus is shining that light upon the Pharisees. He's telling the Pharisees in this. And this is why the Pharisees hate him so much. Because he's telling the Pharisees, you are lost. You are outside of the, the grace of God. And yet, even as much as they've been attacking him, he welcomes him back in. You've always been here. All that's mine is yours. This older son was paying his dues, but he never submitted to his father's Lord. Just as, as a means to get what he wants, but no, never to view him and love him the way he would. And yet our gracious Lord still invites him in. I said this last week and I'll say it again this week. There is nothing, nothing that you have done that separates from you from the Father. To separate you further from God than what Christ has done to forgive us. In other words, his grace is greater than our sin. As we sang earlier. If we would just turn to him and trust him, we, we are welcome in the, with full benefits of sonship. The only thing holding us back is our own sin and stubbornness. They say that that pastor's crazy. He doesn't know my life. He doesn't, you may say, he doesn't know my life. He doesn't know my background. He doesn't know what I've done. No, I don't, but my, I know my Lord. 
I know my Lord. He closes out this parable in the same way that he closes out last week's part of the parable. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. But this brother of yours was dead. He was alive. He was lost and he is found. May our hearts be merged with the heart of our great loving Lord who loves the lost and finds his children. As we come to the conclusion of this, we're going to be partaking in communion. If you didn't get one of these and if, if you would like to partake in communion, make sure you go get one in the back. Um, this is our communion set today. Remember last time, you, there's a little part on top you pull off, you got the bread and the juice is underneath. For those who have been found, we take communion in a somber way, remembering the blood that was shed and the life that was exchanged for ours. In fact, the, the scripture gives a gives strong warning against taking the Lord's Supper if you're not a baptized believer. If you're not a Christian, if you have never submitted to Christ, if you're still the older brother or the lost son. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of our Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you die. See, it's important that we, we take this in a worthy manner. Well, the only way to make, take it in a worthy manner is if we have submitted to Christ. Because Christ is the one that makes us worthy. Christ is the one that brings us, makes us pure. It is not, it is not me being stingy. It is not me, it is me caring for your soul. It's not me being hard, too harsh. I know some people may think that. But this is not something that we can do with our children if they've not submitted to Christ. If we take the Bible at its word and our children who have not submitted to Christ take this, then they eat and drink condemnation upon themselves. Even if, but because the word of God says that if, if we do, if they do, then we're in trouble. I have three kids that ask every, every time we do it. So I, I want to encourage you. If your children are here and they have not submitted to Christ, use it as an example and use it as a way to talk with them about what this is. But again, this is for the church to remember to claim the Lord's sacrifice until he comes again. Luke 22, if the band would come forward. Luke 22 says this. And when the hour came, he reclined at table. And the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom comes.
we pray over this bread. We pray that you would use it to help us remember. Remember the life that was sacrificed. The body that was broken. And we would be able to proclaim your resurrection. In your precious son's name I pray. Amen.